You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, David. Hello, Will. And hello, listeners. Welcome back for episode two of Kaijun. Kaijun. So we are now entering our second episode of this Silver Screen Science special. And once again, in case you're just now joining us, in this series, we are discussing some giant monster movies, particularly the famous ones featuring Godzilla and King Kong for the most part. And we will be releasing episodes every Saturday. This is the second one. And at the end of the month, we will discuss the newest Godzilla film, Godzilla King of Monsters, that by this time has come out, but we are giving you a chance to see it before we discuss it. We will be reviewing the movies, not as movie critics, but as scientists, and discussing the science realm of the movie. Where does it fall among the intersection of science and pop culture? Not planning to nitpick it, because even though that's fun, that's not the most productive discussion. We want to know, how does it display science? Yes. And we're also not criticizing necessarily. Yes. We're not saying, oh, bad science, bad movie. Just talking about it. It's a fascinating subject. Like talking about when what they thought of the world in Roman times. We're not making fun of them. It's just discussing what they had right and had wrong. Indeed. Of course, to do this discussion... We must give you a spoiler warning, Yes, as always. We can't discuss it without spoiling, so if you don't want to have it spoiled, run now, flee. But you've had some time to see this one, because <laughs> today's movie is the original Godzilla, which originally was titled Gojira. Gojira, which Gojira. is the Japanese name of Godzilla. Gojira. Which, yeah, we now all know it as Godzilla, but that was the title in 1954, directed by Ishiro Honda and distributed by Toho Studios. Yes, a Japanese film. Japanese film so, through and through. Yes, it is. This is very Japanese. This is a critical Japanese film for lots of reasons, but it is one of the most famous monster movies, if not arguably the most famous monster movie of all time. Yeah, it's it's about time, two and a half years into this podcast, that we spent some time talking about Godzilla. Who I, I cannot imagine disputing the statement that Godzilla is the most famous fictional dinosaur, period. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say you're right. Like, all you need to, to kind of verify that is that almost everything that uses dinosaurs at some point references Godzilla. Yeah, right. <laughs> even if it's a normal dinosaur, you know, Lost World even has, which I know many people did not enjoy, but even Lost World has a Godzilla reference in it. Like yep. it's, Jurassic Park 2. Yes. Yeah. And people it know is, Godzilla. They know the name. Absolutely. And for good reason. So to give you a brief uh, overview of the plot, which the original people, movie. Yeah. People may or may not know this one because people often Godzilla has become one of those things people know. But not a lot of people have seen. Well, and now the, the 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 image of Godzilla for most of the last sixty years has been very different from what very the first different. movie was. So in this original film about Godzilla, it it is about the awakening of a mysterious creature due to nuclear tests. Uh, so it starts with a crew of a fishing boat noticing some light in the distance and then being horribly burned and some killed by a radioactive burst. Mm -hmm. And then they discover that this massive creature has been awoken by our use of radioactive weapons and materials and is now radioactive itself. And it goes on a rampage of the countryside, just leaving devastation in its wake and is only stopped when finally the use of a a new and potentially equally dangerous uh scientific discovery and, and 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 this weapon is used to defeat him yes yeah we we gave you that spoiler warning godzilla dies at the end of godzilla yes 
which the first time I watched this movie surprised the heck out of me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it's this is a very interesting film because of how they treat Godzilla. So as with most of our silver screen science, we like to go through and talk about the critters, the science, the scientists, and the broader impact of the movie. But here we got really just one critter, and technically two, but yes. one yes. critter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the the subjects of paleontology of Earth yes. history that we like to talk about, unlike our last movie, which was chock full yep. King Kong and the Jurassic Park films. This one's more like the Meg. Yes. There's one creature, really, that we have to talk about. One animal and then a lot of science talk. So we still have a lot that we can discuss. But let's go ahead and dig in and talk about Godzilla. Like Godzilla. So Godzilla is supposed to be an an ancient prehistoric creature. Dinosaur, aquatic reptile. They kind of leave that vague. But it's heavily implied some sort of dinosaur Mm -hmm. that was awoken by nuclear tests and irradiated by them. Yes, made radioactive. Made radioactive. Uh, Now, we'll get into more of this when we get into the broader impact of Godzilla, but that is the core of Godzilla. Godzilla is not actually supposed to be a story about a dinosaur. It's the story about nuclear weapons. And everything about Godzilla tells that story the skin was designed to mimic the radiation scars and burns of the victims of the Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki bombs. Mm-hmm. And so it's meant to, like, for oh, the yeah. for the Japanese people of that time, they knew exactly what Godzilla was representing because it was still very fresh in their cultural memory. At one point in the movie, one of the characters actually directly compares Godzilla to... Yes. The atomic bombs and says Absolutely. Godzilla is no better than mm-hmm. the atomic bomb itself. Now, we'll get into more of that history when we go into the impact. But Godzilla is supposed to be like the atomic bomb, not personified, but monstrified. Yes, made manifest in this creature of mass destruction. And the story is very much the use of atomic weaponry is an affront to nature. And Godzilla is nature coming to punish us. Mm-hmm. That is the whole thing with Godzilla, and that's exactly what Godzilla does. Is Godzilla is just rampaging, just a a hurricane on two legs, destroying everything. It's got a very dinosaur design. He's he's upright, which was it's how we 50s. viewed. Yeah, that's how we view dinosaurs. Also, though, he is a man in a suit. Unlike the claymation we talked about last time, this is a man in a suit that, and we stand upright. Right. So so a lot of Godzilla's design is 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 guided by that. Yeah, it has the fact to be that practical. You had to fit a dude in there. But it, you know, his tail drags on the mm-hmm. ground. He stands up like a kangaroo. He's got small arms and big legs. Yeah. He's very much the old image of a theropod. Yeah, and they they used various dinosaurs. It's definitely supposed to be a theropod. In later Godzilla movies, we see the Godzillasaurus, which is what they called it. Uh, (laughs) that he was supposed to have been mutated from by radiation. And it's just a a spiny-backed T-Rex, basically. Right. The spines are very stegosaur-like. And that was on purpose. They were supposed to be Mm -hmm. stegosaurus. So it was supposed to just elicit dinosaur. You know, not a specific dinosaur, but just you were supposed to look at it and go, well, that's definitely a dinosaur. Ancient, primeval creature. And and, uh, his name even goes with the design... And I don't remember the, the full terms, for, but Gojira is a combination of the terms, the Japanese terms for gorilla and whale. Because mm-hmm. he's supposed to be big and then burly and, you know, and bestial, you know, you know, destructive. Yes. So he's not based necessarily on a specific dinosaur, specific prehistoric creature. Or even a single animal. There is a Gojirasaurus. Yes, there is. In real life. it's not. I think it's known from very fragmentary material somewhere mm-hmm. in the U.S. I forget where. But, but there, there is a Gojirasaurus. There is, which is awesome. <laughs> and it is uh, a theropod. I think it's a small to medium. Maybe it's a medium-sized theropod. I believe so. So it, it has all of those the, those characteristics. Other than that, mostly it's a, he's just a monster. He has atomic breath. You know, yes. a... a, a dragon-like fire breathing but it's supposed to be just concentrated radiation so it just 
melts everything. I love that, and this is just one of those things, that even in the first incarnation of Godzilla ever, his spines still glow before he uses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just, once again, that's just a movie monster thing. That's not, you know, yeah. an animal well, and thing. He, he's doing the same thing, and we keep talking about how do you turn an animal into a monster. Mm-hmm. He's hyper-violent. Yep. And indestructible. Yes, just no- nothing mankind can throw at this beast. No- neither man nor his machines can stop yeah. this beast or something to that effect. And indeed, he moved like the uh, the impact he has. The the movie comes out like whereas King Kong was very much a monster movie. This feels much more like a natural disaster movie. Absolutely. He uh, blows through town like a typhoon. And in fact, the the early there's an early scene where they don't show Godzilla, but they, they show the destruction, the aftermath. And the people say, oh, what, was that a typhoon? I don't think it was yeah. a typhoon. I saw an animal moving. Exactly. Yeah, he's like a storm. Like, because the, they're looking at, like, the way stuff was knocked over. Like, wind wouldn't knock over stuff like this. This was crushed. And, yeah, it's, this is, this is nature coming. And that's really the interest is Godzilla's always been representative of, like, the Earth's fury. Like, coming back to get us for, you know, what we've done wrong to the Earth. Or protecting earth from worse things in later movies but in this one it's very much we've messed up by using atomic technology and godzilla's here to bring swift retribution a couple other things that i think are interesting about the portrayal of godzilla it has the tail yep that big big sweeping sweepy tail just Mm -hmm. like the the tyrannosaur we talked about in king kong which is another of those old tropes Another trope, and we didn't mention this in the King Kong episode, but there's a point where they say, don't shine spotlights on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It'll make him angry. And King Kong did that too, where he get the flashing of the, the camera. Mm-hmm. That it agitates them. It's that that violent reaction to stimulus is yes. very much this a movie monster thing. And you mentioned in one of the previous episodes that it's a movie trope that animals just react to stimulus yeah exactly it's if if a happens they must do b and yeah it is it is beyond their control to stop it and that's not at all how animals work i i got to see our gator training at the aquarium up close today and i can tell you that those gators knew exactly what they were doing when they ignored the feeding <laughs> they, they, they one of them because they're they're supposed to lift their snout up and touch the target but they have to do a push-up to do it and one of them craned her neck as far as she could to touch it without getting up at all <laughs> and it was it was very obvious is this good enough can i get away with this and so, no animals don't just respond that well at least animals with a brain eh, things like right, anemones right. do things things like anemones <laughs> are pretty robotic but Godzilla is also described as an endling. They don't yes. use that phrase. Yes, but no, absolutely. The last of its kind. The one, although it's also suggested that you could get more Godzilla. Yes, they 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 say that if we if we continue down this path, it's only a matter of time before a and they say just another Godzilla arises. Right. Whether or and, not that means the same species or, or a similar just, situation. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's very interesting how they how they treat it because he's kind of all encompassing of nature rebelling, but also of just prehistoric life. Like yes, they the just last kind of, of his kind, a mm-hmm. remnant from from a long, long time ago. Things like that. Also, just been hanging around. That's that's another thing. Very much like King Kong, they never explain like yes, but how did he survive the extinction? Well, the radiation made him powerful. No, that didn't answer the question. Like yeah, they, they <laughs> describe him as. The, the scientist, who we'll talk about in just a bit, yep. says he probably was living in caverns under the ocean, mm-hmm. and the bombs disturbed and awoke this creature. He actually says, uh, I have this written down, that something along the lines of how the bombs disrupted its natural habitat. Yes, exactly. That, that we messed up its ecosystem and forced it out. That it was living mm-hmm. deep under the ocean, which harkens back to all sorts of old, like, journey oh, yeah. to the center of the earth, creatures living under the, 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 the earth thing. 
But also, the Meg did that. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the Meg. Yeah, a, a place under the ocean where this ancient creature lives. It's it's very odd. This idea of ancient animals almost just waiting around, just hanging out, unchanging, just, just not waiting doing around. anything. Not spreading, not reproducing to any noticeable amount. Nope. Just hanging out. It's very similar to the Lost World trope. Yeah. In this case, we don't get to see the Lost World, but we we disrupted it and the creature was released from it, which is really interesting. It's an intriguing trend through movies. Yeah, it would be interesting to get to, you know, ask if they if they intended for there to be a prehistoric ecosystem or if this was just a prehistoric animal feeding off of a modern ecosystem, it's very odd. But I think there's a suggestion for the prehistoric ecosystem because we do get one one other, one single other critter in the movie, and it is one trilobite. One trilobite, a living trilobite. Found within the footprint of Godzilla. The radioactive footprint yep. of Godzilla. <laughs> And it's suggested that Godzilla brought this trilobite up with it. Uh, whether it's that, like it was supposed to be a parasite on Godzilla or whether it just got stuck and hit the creases of his foot, you know, before he came up. Yeah. But that he brought up ancient life with him, which it suggests that there was an ancient ecosystem or at least that they're hanging around with Godzilla, you know, that. He was right that though those undersea caverns it. are not just where this Godzilla creature was living. Mm-hmm. Other prehistoric, it's a lost world. There's other prehistoric yep. creatures down there. It was, yeah, it was very, I, I always find that part kind of charming because that was it. That part is not just like, oh, look, a trilobite that's treated as their justification for it. Aha, it is an ancient creature. Yeah. And like, we'll this talk is about their that. smoking gun for it being a dinosaur. And we'll talk about that when we get to the science discussion. (laughs) But yeah, they're correlating evidence, which is pretty cool. Yep. And yeah, so we get we get a lot of those those interesting things. Uh, Some of the the interesting things about the side effects that I that is appreciable in this movie is Godzilla is now radioactive. He's a Mm -hmm. radioactive monster, which means he irradiates things. The footprint he leaves behind is irradiated. There's a moment when the water is trickling by where Godzilla went, you know, walked through. And the scientist says, don't let anyone drink that. Because it is now any place, which is something that is never touched on in the newer Godzilla stuff. Anywhere Godzilla has ever attacked is now like Chernobyl. Yes. (laughs) Well, there's a, at the end of the movie, when they're trying to find him, they track him with Geiger counters. Yep. Yeah, it's just waving it above the water and going, yep, he's down there because we're getting a reading. Like, he was scary just because he was a radioactive monster. Like, they make him intimidating. atomic bomb. Yeah, and that's something that is is, uh, unique because usually monsters are just scary because they're big and they're powerful and they're mean. But he's like, no, I just, I just destroy things by standing next to them. Like, if I if yeah. you stand next to me, you're gonna die because you now have radiation sickness. Like he, it was a very weird thing. I like that he wasn't just scary because he was a dinosaur. Yes, it's not just the yes. the like the T Rexes in every other movie T Rex yep. is ever in. But it's suggested, heavily suggested, that Godzilla would have continued to have lived peacefully, peaceably under the ocean had we not messed things up yeah. with the atomic weapons. And I, I don't know. Godzilla's definitely terrifying and horrible in the first movie. Like And a monster. And a monster proper monster. But also the victim. Like Yeah. Godzilla was fine. We screwed things up. Now he's screwing them up further. Like and that's he's not scary because he's a dinosaur. He's scary because we made him a monster. Yeah. Uh which is which is which is cool. Kind of unique among most monster movies. Like, not a lot of monster movies take that route of this animal would have been fine had human beings not been here. And it, I don't know, that's, that's, that is very different among our films for this, for this series. So, uh, that was something that I found very interesting about this portrayal of a, of a dinosaur in modern day. Well, getting into that concept, the, of the science. There's tons of science because they have to try to explain 
where Godzilla came from and why he's still here. And there's a there's actually a slideshow. There's a moment. Yeah, there's where, a whole presentation scene yep. where they talk about paleontology. Absolutely. Now they don't nail it all. (laughs) (laughs) We we don't have time to unpack all of that. Yeah, they're wrong pretty much across the board. It is actually kind of impressive that they don't don't get a single nail on the head. No. Like, but just by the law of averages, you'd expect them to say one thing where it's like, all right, well, you got that one. You at least heard someone say that. (laughs) Godzilla is two million years old. Yep. From the time of the Jurassic. The Jurassic era. <laughs> the Jurassic era. Now, granted, I, I should we should point out, this is through subtitles. Yes, so there could be mistranslations. So exact wording, it's, yeah, you know, you know take but, it as it is. But it's just the Jurassic era, two million years old. That is what they consistently translate. So I doubt that the original was was both both the correct age and... Not era. It also, it, he describes it as the time where Brontosaurus and other dinosaurs were at their peak. Mm-hmm. Which is true of the Jurassic, but not of two million years ago. Nope. Uh, there is one moment where they say, uh, during the Cretaceous, a creature between marine reptiles and terrestrial animals was born. An intermediate creature. And that's yeah, what they which suggest is, Godzilla which is, is. cool. Yeah. Because they're referencing the evolution of of life from land to water. Mm-hmm. Now, which is real cool. Now, Godzilla is not no at no. all what you would expect that to look like. Uh, the, the more recent Shin Godzilla. There, go watch that if you want to see a, an idea for what a <laughs> an aquatic to ter- terrestrial weird creature would look like. Not accurate scientific, but eh, it's a unique take. I also liked that at least the translation that I read. It, it at one point the scientist says. Some scientists call this the Jurassic. Oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> like, that. Do, some of them? <laughs> are, you, are you arguing over it? Now, in certain circles, you might hear this referred to as <laughs> Jurassic. I don't go in for all of that. But, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely just kind of they're throwing. It's very much like what s- space, you know, uh, uh, movies do. Yeah, so we can't, you can't just put the word quantum in front of things and expect it to sound sci-fi. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so it's it's those kinds of it feels like that but with paleontology where they're just going, "All right, with Jurassic, cool. Jurassic." Yep. How how many million should we say? Is two enough? Two is enough. That's fine. Cuz we knew this isn't a, a a sign of the times thing. Like no. we we were dating things at this. We had at least a decent idea of of ages of of of, of rock layers. No, this this is Swiss Family Robinson silly where they're like, all right, what animals? Ostrich, cool. Tiger, cool. Like, yeah, we'll just throw wild animals onto the island. People don't know where these animals come from. <laughs> it was, it's got that feeling to it. They say that the trilobite comes from the same time period. Yep. Two million year old trilobite. Uh, which trilobites and dinosaurs never interacted. But that, but I guess nope. if Godzilla's transitioning from the land to the, <laughs> from the water to the land, then he's a basal tetrapod. Well, and the thing that I find funny about it is they they specified marine reptiles forming into terrestrial animals. Yes. Which which either suggests that reptiles started in the water and then came on the land and became terrestrial animals, or that each terrestrial animal had their own aquatic to land transition. Right. Yeah, there was was the seal that became a wolf, and there was a a, sea snake or a crocodile that became a lizard, and there was a... You know, penguin yeah. that became a stork, <laughs> like, <laughs> which I don't know. I, I just that phrasing was was uh, interesting to me. It's they they just kind of throw the paleontology at the wall. But as we pointed out in our Jurassic series, it is very rare that we ever get to see a paleontologist in a movie. That's true. And even though the paleontology is nonsense, they they do have a paleontologist. They do. There's also some geology real quick. Oh, yes, please go ahead. One of my favorite ahead. little things in there is that, and this, this is something the scientists say they did. So we're leading into our talk about the scientists. They talk about how the trilobite helped them to determine the age of the, yep. the, 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 I, fo- I did have the notes Godzilla, on this. like you would an index fossil. Mm-hmm. And they identified the sand from the trilobite's shell 
as the same sort of red clay as the local Jurassic strata. Yep. That's cool. That's that's really interesting. Now, that suggests that this trilobite was buried in the Jurassic sediment and has just been, like, carrying that around I since then? Or, like... Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure how that works. But, but the, the geologic correlation, that's kind of a cool thing. That's a, it's tried. a real thing that they're trying. They tried. They, they tried. They gave it the old college try. <laughs> it's, it's like when, you're, when your relative is like, this is the thing you like, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not, but I, accre- I appreciate <laughs> it's it. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> uh, as we get into the... There, there's other sciences, but I, I'm going to save one of the things for a little bit later because it right. deals directly with one of our scientists. So... Our scientists for this film, we have two. We have two scientists. The first scientist and most most uh, prominent for the beginning portion of the film and the paleontology is paleontologist Kyohei Yamane. A paleontologist. Paleontologist. A- actual paleontologist in film. Absolutely. Now, funny, it, it's always funny to me how movies decide to work paleontologists into their movies. Because uh, he's called in after the first on-land attack by Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And he's purely called in because some people think it might be an animal. Yeah. Yeah, his first uh, conference, like the first talk he gives, mm-hmm. has nothing to do with paleontology. No. He's just like, it seems to be a big animal. Maybe it's something that survived the extinctions of the past and lived to today. Now, he does say... These are these are pre, these uh, um, opinions are premature and require further investigation. Yes, he says I'm reluctant to draw conclusions before yes. inspecting the scene. Well done. Yes. Way to be a good scientist. It's it's th- that that's awesome. Now then he also goes on to cite other natural mysteries to say maybe it is a mysterious creature. For instance, these footprints found in the Himalayas, an unsolved mystery of the Yeti. Yes. And <laughs> secrets of the abyssal regions of the ocean. Who knows what's hiding down there? So it's, uh, you know, once again, you tried. You yeah, tried. You got part of it. He talks about the caverns in the ocean. Like, Absolutely. He's got his sort of geologic knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the fact that he's in here, but it's still funny to me because there's no reason why you would call one of us no. after an event like this. <laughs> like... At least in the the 98 Godzilla, they had a footprint that was very obviously theropod shaped. And they said, hey, Miss Paleontologist, is that a dinosaur? Like, at least they had that. But like, no one had even been to the site yet. (laughs) It's just, we needed a paleontologist in the movie. It's the same thing as what happened in Lake Placid, where they're like, well, we've got a weird tooth. All right, well, we got a paleontologist we can send you. Okay, do you have anyone else as well? (laughs) Because... someone that would be helpful because this thing's alive um <laughs> he does have a stegosaurus in his office yes he which does is a, a real life paleontologist thing to have oh yeah he's got his knickknacks and i like that he also identifies the trilobite instantly instantly boom he goes this is a trilobite now to be fair trilobites are pretty distinctive yes but like you were saying with king kong how no one in king kong seemed to think it was particularly weird yeah. That there were dinosaurs running around? Oh, this it, is one of them there dinosaurs uh, I've heard about. A trilobite. What do you know? Yeah. he He's very like, that's important. And he does call it an amazing discovery. Like an he, amazing he discovery. He recognizes the significance of it. He's also, and I appreciate that this is worked into his character. Because he, he makes most of his um, statements about Godzilla after first spotting Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Which then he just immediately forms a hypothesis to explain Godzilla. Which then becomes the truth about Godzilla, because that's how movies work. <laughs> yes, uh, he just knows how Godzilla came about. He just knows how tall he is. Because he, he said he estimates from oh, the that's pictures right. he that he's 50 meters tall. And officially, yeah, the first Godzilla is 50 meters tall. <laughs> well, and it's that thing we talked about in, in, in previous movies where scientists in film are often used as the sources of absolute knowledge. Yeah, we, we, we're used as... Um, a, a tool of exposition and you don't have to explain why these things are known because a scientist said it yes that it's it it is known yeah well how do you know that because he's smart and junk yeah and, and he is and, that's mostly what he is being yes. smart and junk but he has a nice little uh little story in there with him of he doesn't want them to kill godzilla 
Yes. He he keeps emphasizing a. This is an, a prehistoric animal that it's an ama- it's amazing that it's still here today. But also, it survived the radiation that we poisoned it with. Yeah, he wants like, to study it. We should understand this animal because this is something that shouldn't be able to happen. And we want how how is it resistant? Shouldn't we understand mm-hmm. that? Isn't that important? Now he's also used as the weird person who just innately understands the monster because he's the one that goes, "Don't use lights; it'll just make him angry." Yes. Did he tell you that? How do you like, know that? <laughs> what? Like, and again, that's a very scientist in movies trope: is they just know stuff. Yeah. Just no, no. Font of knowledge that wouldn't work. Why? Because of this vague reason. Oh, okay. He's the wizard. Yes. Now, he does have more, because there's a whole subplot with him and his daughter. Absolutely. And how he's protective of his daughter, and the, her, his daughter's uh, uh, love interest is trying to make, you know, get, get in good with dad. Yep. And so he's not just the guy in the doing the science. No. He's a, he's a character, which is he's, nice. He's, kind, he's actually kind of like the heart of the movie. Like he's, He really is. He's which is a, unusual for scientists in movies yes. who are usually the other side. Mm-hmm. The cold, calculating brain. Like, the the uh, wants-to-be son-in-law is like, but we should kill Godzilla. And there's one moment where he says, if you're going to talk like that, get out of my house. Yeah, like, he kicked, he's like, we, we won't even talk about this. Like, I'm tired of hearing this kind of, you know, warmongering talk of just kill it. And it's it's really cool that he's a conservationist as well, which most paleontologists are. We like nature. Yeah, we like animals. That's why we study them all the time. And and I that doesn't always come into play when paleontologists talked about we we you know paleontologists just talk about the dead stuff, but like we are we are animal enthusiasts. Our other scientist is the the hero of the movie, Dr. Serizawa. Yes, Daisuke Serizawa. He is a chemist? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the best way. That's the best way to describe him. Chemistry? Well, yeah. Well, he has this big, like, classic mad scientist chemistry lab. It's such a weird dichotomy because while while Kyohei is an actually very believable paleontologist, like he kind of feels legit. Like, yeah, Serizawa is he's brooding. He has his lab in the basement of his house. It is full of science junk. Just tubes and pipes and beakers and mists and liquids. He, now, he has a backstory. He fought in the war, so he has an eye patch because of injuries there. But he also is an eye patch wearing scientist. So, like. He's very, (laughs) like, mad scientist trope. (laughs) In any other comic book, he'd be the evil guy. Yes. But also. He fills all those tropes of like, all right, your lab's in your basement. Sci- famous and successful scientists often work from home because once you've kind of proven yourself, you can kind of throw your weight around a little bit. That's not unheard of. Like, but also no one knows what he's working on. No. Everyone's like, what's he working on? Who knows? Then who's funding you? But they know him. Yeah. Like Everyone's he's like, oh, famous. oh, Dr. Sarazala working on his next... They talk about him the way that people talk about famous authors in movies, where they're yes. like, I hear he's writing a new book. I wonder what it's going to be. No, I but, loved his last one. <laughs> but with him, it's... And we don't... I don't think we ever hear about what he did previously. No, he, he was he, he was a notable in the war. Like, he was awarded. He, he So he was a, if not war hero, highly decorated because of his injury and because of what he did. So they vaguely refer back to... Which is up a little little bit of the politics of the time, because during this time, Japan was still kind of under U.S. control after the war, after yeah, World War II. This is so within a decade of the end of World War II. They weren't really allowed to say much. Uh, we, we, we had a, actually a pretty aggressive censorship on what they were allowed to put in movies. So these little comments were... Subtle, sneaky ways to get around that censorship. But that, vaguely, he was a important person in the war. Yeah. And is a well-known scientist. No one knows what he's... And that's something also. How are these movie scientists always getting funding to work on? Like, Whatever. Like yeah. the Meg. 
Yeah. Where that guy, just, the guy came in and he was like, well, I've been funding you for two years. Show me what you've been working on. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just, did you forget to like end your renewal subscription? Did you and read just, the grant? Like, did you finally just find in your spam email? You know, <laughs> it's like, well, they've been charging me for two years. Oh, what is, I still have a subscription to that. Might as well check it out. <laughs> uh, I say chemist because he, he ends up creating something called the Oxygen Destroyer. Yes. Which, I quote, disintegrates all oxygen in a body of water as it splits oxygen atoms into fluids. Right. And then the animals in the water die as a, of asphyxiation. They suffocate. And then the remains are liquefied somehow. They are instantly skeletonized. Instantly. And he discovered this... <laughs> While studying, as he puts it, he discovered this energy while studying oxygen. Phlogiston. It, it's just so much science mumbo jumbo. Yeah, it's just science words. And not even it's, detailed science words. <laughs> no, no, it's it's just weird stuff. Uh, now, this is supposed to be his greatest discovery, and the reason he's keeping it secret is he is worried it will become the next super weapon, the next atomic weapon. Yes, he's very, his language is very reminiscent of that famous, the, the, the famous story of the people who created the atomic bomb and then were appalled at what they had yes. created. I am become death destroyer of worlds. And that's, that's the story of his character is he has this amazing thing. It could do so much good, but he completely realizes, especially with the recent history of Japan, that if it got into the wrong hands, it could be devastating to mankind. This is eventually the tool that is used to kill Godzilla. And in the process, he sacrifices himself and burns beforehand, burning all of his material so that no one can ever discover the secrets of the oxygen destroyer and recreate it. So he's very much the opposite of the mad scientist trope. Yes. In the end. He, it's, he's such a weird mixture of scientist stuff because he's got all the cliches of like, I work down in my lab in my basement and I'm brooding and secretive and I've discovered this thing that no one else has discovered and it's so groundbreaking that if I die, no one will ever discover it again. Yeah. Like, that's... We we rediscover stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and usually, if you've thought of it, someone else, someone else, and somewhere else in the world has probably also thinking of it. It's, it's the same reason that, like, very similar products will come out almost back-to-back and it's why patenting is such an issue, because two people may have the same idea for the same product, and whoever patents first wins. It's it's a weird thing, because he, he's very um, altruistic, he's very noble, he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also got all those vagary science stuff that movie scientists so often had, and have, of just, you know, I'm the best at the science I do, but the science I've done is... You know, outrageous. Is it very nice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's and it's like it's so weird. He's such a weird character. He's also the fiance to the paleontologist's daughter, but she's in love with the other dude, and that love triangle just is kind of there, which is weird. I didn't even catch it much of yeah. the time. Yeah, it's just there's a moment where he's like, she's like. All right, I'll tell him I don't want to marry him. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that's happening. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How convenient would it be for us to be able to instantly turn a creature into a skeleton that we oh right we spend days trying and weeks and months doing that and it smells bad and it takes it, maintenance. It's gross and yeah, it's it's tough. That'd be so easy. Yeah, piece of cake. Just destroy the oxygen. Godzilla's skeleton is real weird. Yes. They, I think you don't you get, get a good look see. at it. You get better looks in later movies. Because uh, they oh. have one per, one moment. They have a moment later on when they use the skeleton Godzilla to create Mechagodzilla. Uh, as the infrastructure. As you do. And there's a person who has Godzilla's skeleton. Uh, a, a science student. Like a, a post-grad student. That has a diagram with Godzilla's skeleton on his wall. And I think a model of it on his shelf. And so you can find those on the internet to, like, get replicas of those things. Oh, that's cool. I wonder if the scene in Fallen Kingdom when they go to the bottom of the water to get the bones from the Indominus was intended to be a reference to that. It might have been. That's a good point. That might have been. Interesting. Hmm. So 
just to, to mention uh, the, the broader impact of this film, I would be remiss if I did not mention a little bit of its history. Uh, now, the impact of Godzilla almost goes without saying. Oh, yeah. You know Godzilla. Godzilla has become so well-known around the world, it's insane. There, There is almost not a cartoon I can think of that has not referenced it or made a spoof off of it. It is just mad. It is just uh, baffling how big he has become. And I don't Pun think intended. there has been a span of, what, three years since this first movie came out that there wasn't a Godzilla film. Oh, no, there's got to be, like... Hang on, let me bring that up really quick. I don't know, because I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to take the whole time to Google, but I can't say for sure whether it's the most movies, but Godzilla has to have one of the longest movie listings of any movie character. Oh, with yeah. With 35 films. Yeah. <laughs> Over 65 years. Like, 35 films, of which he is the star of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so... For the most part, there's a couple of movies where Godzilla shows up as a reference, but like Godzilla is just a huge part of film culture and just culture. But the history behind this movie is really the part that is most impactful. And though some of it has been lost in the more recent versions of Godzilla, it's still at the core, especially of a lot of the remakes. So a bit of history in 1954, the Lucky Dragon 5, a fishing boat from Japan, left port and went off to try to bring in fish to make ends meet. Evidently had a very hard time of it. And February, as February rolled around, there was a testing of a new hydrogen bomb. And it was in water near where the Lucky Dragon 5 was. It was out of the area that it was... You know, it was supposed to be cleared, but U.S. tests on the new Castle Bravo hydrogen bomb, or at least the Hy- Castle Bravo test of a, the new hydrogen bomb, bomb was dropped, and they miscalculated. It was intended to be six megatons and ended up yielding 15, Ooh. which put it over a thousand times more powerful than the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They described it as the day the sun rose in the west the crew of the lucky dragon witnessed the blinding light in the distance survived the blast but then what they called death ash began to fall down from the sky on them which later studies determined was atomized coral and this rained down on the crew they thought nothing of it until later that evening they started to feel nauseous they were and, and exhibiting other early signs of radiation poisoning. By March, they were covered in burns, bleeding at the gums, and barely opened barely able to open their eyes. The all twenty three of the crew members were quarantined outside the city. They buried their clothing. Two of the fish that they caught actually went out to market and were not able to be recovered. So those irradiated fish made their way out. And by September, the first crew member died from radiation sickness becoming the first uh at least japanese victim of a hydrogen bomb and that following november godzilla was released the opening scene to godzilla is of a crew on a fishing boat seeing a blinding light in the distance and then being caught in the blast of a radioactive wave yeah this is a very very important movie to the history of Japan. And it's it's extremely it was an extremely emotional topic because it was incredibly recent when this movie came out. And when you watch the film, the film spends a lot of time, you know, Godzilla famously tears through the cities and the film spends a lot of time focusing on the people. Yes. And the the, the victims and people who are lost and scared and it's very evocative of war and this was nine years after the bombs after we the u.s dropped the bombs on japan like this was fresh in in memory godzilla was very much meant to at least many have interpreted it to be a physical manifestation of the u.s military atomic war machine and its effects on japan and this was the only way they could express it in film because 
we, the U.S., back then, wouldn't have allowed them to be any more overt. Yeah. And a lot of that has been lost over time in, in, in depictions of Godzilla. And that has to do with changing political scenes and, Absolutely. and all that. Well, and as he became a franchise, they realized very quickly kids were some of their biggest viewers. So Godzilla became a hero to the children yeah. and became much more lighthearted. And so it's it's veered over time. He's also moved away a lot from his dinosaur relation, mm-hmm. where at this point, Godzilla is just his own thing. Yes. It feels almost silly to talk about him like the new Godzilla, which we'll talk about in a later yes. episode in the series. It, at, at a point, it starts to feel almost silly to even call him a dinosaur. Exactly. He's Godzilla. He is his own fascinating thing. And, and often... Like I said, Godzilla has very, very often been used as a a metaphor for our mis our, our misdeeds and our wrongdoings. Yes. Like Godzilla is here to bring about punishment and balance and retribution. And he holds on to that notion of being a prehistoric creature mm-hmm. that represents the earth. Something itself. Older than us and more powerful than us. Like, yes. it's, it is something that rings throughout how we portray a lot of these these creatures and how we portray Godzilla from here on out. Is, is It's a very um, fire and brimstone view of our effect on nature. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's an impactful film. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. King Kong and Godzilla. Yes. Two just legacies of their own. Absolutely. So there's so much more we could say about this film, but to begin wrapping up so that we do not just talk nonstop about Godzilla, we will. We always like to end with some mini rants. Nitpickies, just little nitpicky stuff. Just a chance for us to nitpick. We 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 don't we don't want to spend the whole time nitpicking. So we give our each we give ourselves each a minute or two just to just to let something out. Absolutely. So I, I hand it over to you again. Do you have a mini rant, David? So my mini rant is not, I'm not, it's not so much of a rant. It's just a question. Does Godzilla swim? In other movies, he does. Because in this movie, right, he's an aquatic creature. And they describe him as living under the ocean. He shows no aquatic adaptations. Obviously, most tetrapods can swim. But he doesn't look like swimming. He doesn't make any swimming moves. And there's a scene at the end when Serizawa goes down. Mm-hmm. To deliver the oxygen destroyer, and Godzilla's like stomping along on the yeah, bottom just of the walking sea. over to him, just walking around in the bottom of the ocean. And then there's the next scene; he's up above the waves, like splashing around above the water as he's in his death throes. And then when he falls over, he sinks down, down, mm-hmm. down to the bottom, and that. I I find myself very confused about how that animal swims. Yep. He's so ponderous and yep. big and man in a suit that I don't he doesn't have any aquatic swimming adaptations. Not he stomps even a around on the bit. bottom like he's wearing the metal cap and then he appears up at the top but then he sinks back down. How does he do it? In later right. movies he like the new Godzilla you, yes. We see him kind of doing the crocodile swim. Yeah, very, very reptilian swimming. And in the later, still Japanese Godzilla movies, they almost always show before he dives, he'll raise the tail very much like a whale. So, like, he's he's obviously tail propelled. And there's a couple of those where he's doing the crocodile swim. Right, which doesn't make any sense because, at least in nah. this movie, his tail is very rounded. Yep. Which is not what you see in... Nope. Swimming animals' tails. Their tails tend to be flattened, either depending on how they're swimming, either top bottom flattened or side to side flattened. Mm-hmm. Snakes, sea snakes that have gone back into the water, have gotten rid of the rounded tail in favor of a flattened tail because it's a paddle. Yeah, that's what you're using to swim. And yeah, it's how an animal like this would move around in the water is is it's it's kind of hard to even head cannon <laughs> like. Yeah, I, now I, I and can't I understand even give you a good. That there's movie limit. It's a guy in a suit. Oh yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, I get it. That's fine. But yeah, he's just float. He's he's, he's <laughs> maybe he's like 
buoyant. He's got a uh-huh. swim bladder, and he can just raise and lower. That's what himself. I was going to suggest. Is he has <laughs> in the water the biggest swim bladder? He's mostly swim bladder. <laughs> he but, he heats. He's like a hot air balloon, and he yes, radio, his yes. radiation pouch heats up, and he he rises through the water. It's. <laughs> I had a moment when you're like, I I understand that there's movie limitations. Yes, there are movie limitations, but you're the ones that decided to put them in the water. <laughs> <laughs> also, Make them this subterranean. Is, this is the part where I nitpick stuff. Like, come on, <laughs> you you could have put them somewhere else. My my mini rant goes back to the oxygen destroyer, which you've already picked apart for being utter scientific nonsense. But but my question is. What was he intending that to be used for? I was wondering the same thing. Like, he makes it sound like this could do so many good things, but I'm afraid they'll only use it to melt fish. Uh, like, <laughs> but what would those good things have been <laughs> other than taxidermists like us? Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess maybe it's maybe he was thinking of it as an energy source because which is what he atoms. That's what he seems to suggest is it's an energy source. But at no point does he, like, display it has amazing outputs of energy and also melts anything around it. Like, it's just... I'm working on that I just, part. There's some yeah. side effects. I'm still, I'm still working out the kinks. I I discovered this thing. It does this stuff. And I've been, I've been researching this for, like, the last few years. And to what end? Well, I found out it did it, so I had to look into it. Like, just there's, he has, he never gives any suggestion for what the oxygen destroyer is, except for horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just weird. He's, and he's so distraught, like, but this is my life's work. And what would it have done? What was it for? <laughs> like, what? It's just, it's like a person who's like, here's my life work. I've been counting every blade of grass in this field. Why? Why? Because they were there, and we didn't know how many. All right, are you gonna like then tell us about like the 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 effect on the ecosystem? Just want to know how much grass. Here's some data for you. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird, and yes, data for data's sake is sometimes very useful because then we can use it for other stuff. But he just seems to have been perfecting he makes melting a big fish. Deal out of it. Yeah, he was just, <laughs> well because and that of course it's because the movie made it for a reason. And then yes. they don't appear to have come up with, like, the rest. <laughs> we need a thing that'll destroy Godzilla is what the, the point of it was. Well, because, like, when he first reveals it to his, his fiance, he brings it down. He's like, now you can't tell anyone about this, but look. And then he melts an aquarium full of fish. She's horrified. He goes, now don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why? What were you doing? <laughs> like, you you beat up the family pet. You're You're a weirdo. <laughs> So, Godzilla. There you go. The original film Godzilla. That's the scientific point of view. If you'd like to hear us talk about it just as a film, stick around and go over to Patreon. Because that's where it'll be. Yeah, more thoughts. Godzilla. We'll, we'll give you our point of view on it as a, a piece of cinema. But until then, or after that, and until next week, thanks for listening and check in next Saturday for episode three where we talk about some more kaiju, some more big monsters. Indeed. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.